to bring the word of God. Let's pray together. Let's just still our hearts. Lord, speak to me. Speak to me today. Speak to me through your word. Speak to me, Lord. I need to know you more. I need to hear your voice today. Lord, here I am, open, willing to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Uh, it's a privilege to be up with here, you guys again. As anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Rachel, and I have the privilege of being a member here at King's. And I'm really thrilled to be back up here again, sharing God's word with you. Um, so over the last six weeks or so, we've been looking at the book of Genesis, and specifically we've been looking at the story of Abraham. And how the focus of this series has been to explore the relationship that God had with Abraham and then in turn understand that this is the same relationship that God wants with each of us. Now each sermon in this series has focused on aspects of the relationship that we're called to have with God. So for example, we've heard about how God seeks to give us security in him through the call that he places on each of our lives. He wants to give us trust in his name and his plan so that we can live in the abundance of his love and his grace. And in him we can find confidence in the covenant that he made with Abraham and we can trust that this covenant will never be broken. And finally, last week, we heard Anne-Marie speak on the joy, the who would have thought kind of joy we have in the Lord, and how the Lord will bring victory in what seems like impossible circumstances like Sarah's barrenness. Well, today, I have the exciting opportunity to speak on friendship. And how through the relationship that the Lord had with Abraham, we can see that the Lord has always intended for our relationship with him to be intimate and to be based on trust and openness. Now I must admit, when I discovered that we were doing a series on Abraham, I had a few mixed feelings. Firstly, of excitement because we haven't really looked in detail at this aspect of the story in the Bible before. But I also had a little bit of trepidation, because this is actually a part of the Bible that can sometimes seem quite distant, quite ancient, with very old traditions and a very different outlook on life. So what can we grasp from that in 2019? However, as the author John H. Walton wrote in his commentary on the book of Genesis, scripture is not only timely, but timeless, because we share a common humanity with the people of the Bible. You see, they had questions, just as we have questions today. They had doubts and fears, just as you and I do. So, what relationship does the Lord seek with us? And how can we see this in the relationship that he had with Abraham? But before we delve into the text, I wanted to talk to you and show you a picture of my best friend. And I'm hoping this clicker is going to work for me today. There he is. This is my best friend. 
well, actually, this is my best friend when he was six. <laughs> this is, in fact, my husband, Peter. Why am I showing you a picture of Peter? Well, he's my best friend because he knows everything about me. And I know everything about him. Like the fact that he has impeccable <clears throat> taste. <laughs> we know each other's heart, desires, passions. We love one another and we want to spend time with one another. We talk to each other. We share what's going on in our lives. But you know the best thing about my best friend is he was introduced to me by the one friend that everybody in this room can call as their friend, and that's the Lord. And not to make him feel a bit too embarrassed, I just chucked one of me up there as well. Oh, oh I've gone back. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter. Right. <laughs> okay. I'd like you to consider the definition of two words. Namely, friend and acquaintance. Now, the dictionary definition of a friend is a person attached to another by affection or esteem. Or other synonyms include confidant and ally. But now, on the other hand, the definition of an acquaintance is a person one knows slightly, but who is not a close friend. So the question I want you to have in the back of your minds today is, is God my friend, or is he simply an acquaintance? Now, my passage for today comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. Now, hold my hands up. I'm not much of an actress, but when I read this passage, it's a conversation between God and Abraham. So I'm going to read this kind of how I might have envisioned the conversation going. If it's different in your head, I apologize. But here we go. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I mean, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? 
Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if there are only 40 found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and returned home. Now this morning, I'd like to focus on three areas. I'm going to look at my, oh, my first point. It's going to be called the blueprint. And we're going to be looking at Abraham's relationship with God. I'm then going to spread my net a bit wider and go into the New Testament. And I'm going to call this section the lesson. What we can learn from Jesus and how he walked in his life. And then finally, on the third point, practically, I'm going to call the walk. How can we effectively walk in our relationship with God? So, my first point, the blueprint. Now, to understand God's relationship with Abraham, we first need to grasp where we're at in the history of God and his people. Now, as we've heard in previous sermons, Abraham was alive during the Bronze Age. And when we meet Abraham at this point in his story, the children of God have, well, in all honesty, they've completely lost the plot. Unfortunately, the last family under Seth have finally succumbed to the ways of this world and they've fallen away from the Lord. So, when God places a call on Abraham's life, Abraham is coming to the fore at a crucial time in our Christian history. You see, in the book of Genesis, we see the birth of the revelation of what God wants for us, his people. Abraham was an ordinary man. He had flaws, he had trust issues, but it's because of these flaws you and I can see that God can use anyone and no one's beyond his grace. You see, in his friendship with God, though he may have been ordinary, Abraham had an extraordinary destiny and legacy. He is the founding father of three of the world's most dominant religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. See, here in this man and his friendship with God, we see the blueprint of the relationship that God wants with each of us. And in this is a blueprint that transcends faiths, cultures, and time. Through Abraham, God is making a new covenant, and he seeks to reveal the true nature of the relationship he's always intended to have with his children. He chose Abraham as he knew, as it says in verse 19, that he would always keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. You know, I've often heard people say that the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. But in fact, 
what the story of Abraham has revealed to me is that God truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, right from Adam and Eve through to the crucifixion, God has always demonstrated his intimate love for us by reaching out to us, by inviting us in to receive his grace and inviting us into conversation with him. In the passage we have today, we see one of the many conversations that Abraham and the Lord had together. Now, at this point in the story, Abraham and Sarah have just played host to three visitors. Now, there are two main theories about who these visitors were. The first, and most commonly known, is that they were angels of the Lord. And the second theory is that this was the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Trinity. If so, that's a whole other story. But either way, Abraham had the wisdom to recognize that they were very special and a sight to behold. And it's whilst these visitors are there that one of them prophesies that Sarah will have a son. And it's immediately after this that we see the conversation in today's passage between God and Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when I first read this passage and I considered my focus of friendship, my initial thoughts were, well, because Abraham is pleading on behalf of the righteous people in Sodom to be spared, perhaps what God is saying is that he wants us to extend the hand of friendship to those who have strayed far from him. And indeed, we could interpret the passage this way. However, as I read and reread the passage, I realized that it was so much more than that. You see, what we have here is God allowing Abraham to speak freely and confidently into a situation that God's actually already decided what he's going to do. I mean, he knows the people of Sodom will not change. And yet, despite this, he still allows Abraham to speak up and give his opinion. And I think you'll agree with me that this is the hallmark of a true friendship. When both people are free to speak and each is prepared to listen to the other and they value their opinion. God is also in this passage teaching Abraham how a just father should act. Even though he knows the people of Sodom have strayed too far, he still says in verses 20 to 21 that he will go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and see for himself if they have indeed done as bad as the outcry that has reached him. Now, I believe that by saying this, God is showing Abraham and us that the Lord is not beyond compassion and he will listen. Whether it's to the people who have strayed or to those who intercede on their behalf. As close friends, we see God and Abraham enter into this powerful conversation where we see the honesty and the courage that the Lord has imparted to Abraham. They both clearly value one another's opinion. But there are a few verses at the beginning of this passage that really made me stop. It's verses 17 to 19. It's when the heavenly visitors, the Lord and Abraham, are walking down towards Sodom. And God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, it would appear that God says this just to the angels. But it's not exactly clear whether or not Abraham's heard it as well. 
Because the Lord then goes on in verses 18 to 19 to say, Abraham will surely become a great nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. I have chosen him. Now, God doesn't need to be reminded of this. It's his plan. It's his will. And I'm going to put it out there that it's highly unlikely that the angels were going to disagree with God. But it almost feels like God is saying this deliberately for Abraham to hear and to remind him of the call on his life. It also feels like the Lord is just demonstrating to us as the reader just how close the nature of the relationship he wanted with Abraham was. You see, he could have chosen to hide from Abraham what he was going to do. And yet he revealed his plans to Abraham, showing him his trust in him. Which consequently shows you and I now that he trusts us, just as he trusted Abraham. And he chose us, just as he chose Abraham. And that we can speak freely with him about anything. You know, God calls us into honest and open conversations with him. He cares deeply about what each of us is going through. And all we have to do is talk to him, seek his voice, trust what he says. Now, this is not a polite and tame conversation between two acquaintances. It's a frank and at times heated discussion between two friends who have an intimate understanding of one another. Indeed, in verse 23, Abraham asked the Lord, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And he then goes on to say in verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing. From you. The way he uses that, it's almost as if I know you. Why would you behave this way? See, when Abraham approaches the Lord in this passage, there's no sign of timidity on his part. However, he is nevertheless completely aware of the Lord's authority. And he's not seeking to anger the Lord. But nor is he shying away from what's on his heart. See, in this moment, we see God demonstrating through his friendship with Abraham that he's not a distant God. You know, it's the same for you and I today. God calls us into an intimate relationship with him because he wants to hear our concerns, our frustrations, and our questions. He wants us to speak freely with him. Like if I asked you now to think of one of your closest relationships and to consider what is it about that friendship that you value and how you have developed that friendship over time, I can guess that you would say that friendship is based on trust and honesty and that you make time to be in each other's company. You know, we can't know the Lord by just giving him a sneak peek into our lives. We must be willing, just like Abraham, to open our hearts to him and to surrender our will for our lives. Now, this is not to say that Abraham found that easy. He struggled at times to understand God's promise for his life, but ultimately he trusted the Lord. And we too have to trust in the call that he's placed on our lives. And I know the thought of surrender can seem intimidating or make us feel like we're somehow on an unequal footing with God. But what we must realize is we have a unique relationship with God. No other relationship we have will ever replicate it or compare to it. You see, God, sorry, Abraham understood God's sovereign authority over his life 
and that the Lord will have the final say. But what we must remember is God fulfilled every single promise he had for Abraham and all who came after him. And that includes you and me. You know, God did not ask Abraham to trust him on the off chance that he might fulfill his prophecies. He said, trust me and I'll show you what I can do. And God as your friend offers that same invitation today. Trust me and I'll show you what I can really do. Now I want to move on to my next point, which I have called the lesson. And I want to talk about what we can learn from Jesus and how he lived his life. Now I think it's fair to say that Jesus' whole life demonstrated what it means to be a devoted and loving friend. And if I'm not careful, I could have us all here until this time next week talking about it. But in all honesty, as I looked for passages in the Bible of where Jesus demonstrates true friendship, I couldn't stop smiling and getting really excited because when we grasp, really grasp just how much he loves us, it catches your breath. It stops you in your tracks. And you can't help but lift your head and say, thank you for loving me that much. So by looking at Jesus' relationship with others, what more can we see about the characteristics of the friendship that God wants with us? Well, as today's text in Genesis is based on a conversation between two close friends, God and Abraham, in which they're able to discuss the just way to act in the situation they face, I thought that we could have a look at a conversation between Jesus and individuals in a large crowd, in which he powerfully speaks into their lives, and thereby showing those witnessing how a just father and loving friend should act. And hopefully then in turn, we for ourselves can see from this interaction what it means to have Jesus as our closest friend. Now, I know I said earlier that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is. I mean, he's no different from Abraham's time to Jesus' time to now. But that said, what we do see in Jesus is a distinct shift or development in the relationship that God has with his children. Now, by that I mean, in the Old Testament, God spoke through various people that he had anointed, such as Abraham, or Elisha, or Jacob, Moses. But in Jesus, we all can come directly into God's presence. You see, God, through Jesus, is further demonstrating his desire for an intimate relationship with us. As I was seeking God for what he wanted me to say, in particular on Jesus' relationship with us, there was one passage that just kept coming back to me, and it was in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Now, I won't be reading the passage out this, this morning just for the sake of time, but this is the passage where Jesus raises the little girl from the dead and heals a sick woman. But I'll paint the picture for you. So at this point in Jesus' walk, he's already performed many miracles, and he's built up 
quite a reputation amongst the people. And at the beginning of this passage, we see that Jesus has crossed over the lake. And as soon as he disembarks, he is surrounded by a crowd, 15, 20 people deep. And they are excited and anticipating, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? And it's in these next two interactions that we see Jesus demonstrate his unfailing, compassionate friendship. And how he's able to see straight into the needs of each of our lives. So let me paint the picture a bit more. So Jesus is walking along, and as he's walking along, surrounded by all of these people, there is a wealthy synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. And he comes along, and he's in a desperate state, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, my little daughter is dying. Please, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will be healed. Now, at the same time that this interaction is taking place, a woman who's been bleeding non-stop for 12 years and has suffered a great deal, approaches Jesus in the crowd. And she believes that if she can just touch the hem of his garment, she will be healed. Now, let's not forget, Jesus is completely surrounded by a large group of witnesses, including his disciples. And undoubtedly, they will have all had an opinion of some sort of whose plight he should respond to. I mean, they will have all clearly seen Jairus, well-to-do, well-known, wealthy synagogue leader, and most likely not even noticed the woman. And no doubt, they would have thought that Jairus was the more important or worthy person to show compassion to. Not to mention, raising someone from the dead. What an amazing miracle for all these people to witness. And yet, what Jesus does in this moment is he demonstrates that he does not and nor do we serve a God who places a higher value on one person's life over another. You see, as the woman touches the garment of Jesus, he feels the power go out of him. And it's in this very moment that he needs to make a decision. Shall I respond as the Messiah or the friend you all think I should be? Or do I respond as the Messiah, the friend I was called to be? See, it's a beautiful picture of God's grace and love. Because instead of just simply moving on and going with the obvious choice, Jesus stops, no doubt, to Jairus' frustration And he publicly acknowledges this woman. I mean, this is something that would have been unheard of at the time. And he uses this beautiful word in verse 34. He says, daughter. This means accepted one, loved one. Everybody in that crowd listening, they would have understood the gravitas of that word, the importance of that word. Because this woman would have been lesser than and rejected for most of her life. Firstly, for being a woman, and secondly, because of her illness. You see, she was deemed not fit to be seen in public, let alone openly acknowledged. And yet what Jesus demonstrates here is that he loves each of us, no matter what others may think about us. You see, he's a true friend. He looks straight into your situation, and he says, 
You are loved. You are accepted. You are my beloved. But what about Jairus? He had just as much faith as the woman. And Jesus doesn't forget about him either. He shows equal compassion for his and the woman's situation. Because as Jesus is healing this woman, people from Jairus' house approach him and tell him, it's too late, she's dead. And just as all the hope that Jairus has left in him disappears when he hears this news, the beautiful thing is Jesus hears it too. And in verse 35, he looks straight at Jairus and he says, do not be afraid, just believe. Now, as we know from the passage, he then goes on to raise the little girl from the dead, but not in the grand and public way that perhaps some of these spectators were hoping for, but rather it was behind closed doors and with only a few witnesses. And you know what this says to me? It's that though many people may walk in and out of your life, have different opinions, different ideas, do you know what matters the most? Is who's in the room with you in those intimate, those difficult moments. And that person is Jesus. Now you might be asking, what does this passage then demonstrate about the kind of relationship that God wants with each of us today? Well, I believe what these two interactions teach us is that God knows each of our situations and he knows all the struggles we face. As with Jairus and the sick woman, he places equal importance on all of our needs. Like God to his people in the time of Abraham, Jesus is a friend to all who believe and call on his name. Now maybe there might be some people here today who feel like the woman in this passage, forgotten or ignored by those around them, or maybe by God himself. But what I want to tell you today is that Jesus sees you and he calls you. He says, you're my accepted one. Or maybe there are people here who feel a bit like Jairus, desperate, absolutely desperate for God's intervention in a situation that you're facing and frustrated that there's been no change or that he appears to be focusing on somebody else and their struggle. But what God says to you today is do not be afraid. Just believe. You can trust Jesus. He truly is like no other friend you will ever have. So what can you and I do then to walk effectively in our relationship with God? Is it going to move me? There we go. So I've called this section the walk and I want to talk about how can we walk in our friendship with God? Now I know it's easy to say that you know, in our busy modern lives, we just, we forget that we need to actually make room for God and we need to hear his call on our lives. So with that in mind, I would like to suggest that there are three simple steps that we can take to walk effectively in our relationship with the Lord. Firstly, 
we need to seek him. Secondly, we need to trust him. And then finally, we've got to share him. So, we need to seek him. We all need to make a conscious decision to seek out the Lord. I mean, Abraham was always aware of his need for the Lord's presence in his life. He knew, even when he strayed far from the path, which he did many times, that he had to go back to the place where he could encounter the Lord. Now, for Abraham, that place was Bethel, where he erected the first altar to the Lord. But for you and I, it could be here at King's, or it could be with small group, or with close friends, or with family, or just simply in your own quiet time of prayer and reflection. But wherever it may be, we need to actively choose to block out the noise and the distraction of our lives. And we need to focus solely on the Lord. Now, I completely appreciate that if you're facing a rough time, switching off all the white noise of life can sometimes seem an insurmountable task. But what we must remember is we have a relationship with God. And therefore, it's a two-way thing. You see, he's actually also seeking us. And when we've lost all strength and hope, he, as a loving father and friend, he finds us. He calls us by name and he lifts our eyes to him and he tells us to look only upon him. Because in him, we find our peace. We find the answer to our struggles. In him, we find love. Trust him. Now, it's one thing to seek the Lord, but then by inviting us into our lives and our situations, we've then got to trust him. And this is an aspect of my relationship, and I'm sure everybody's relationship with God, that we struggle with at times. You know, Abraham was no different. I mean, he lacked faith and trust on many occasions. For example, when he doubted the Lord's promise for a child for him and Sarah. And Abraham, and indeed Sarah, let's not put it all on Abraham, you know, they took matters into their own hands and he bore a child with one of his servants. And yet, despite this lack of trust by Abraham and Sarah, God still fulfilled every promise he had for Abraham's life. He didn't give up on him. You see, it's only human for you and I to lack faith or trust in God. But when we seek him for our life, and then we trust him for the plans that he has for us, we will see he is a faithful God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then finally, we need to share him. You know, one of the ways we see God move most powerfully in our lives is when we share him with others. You know, big day out or the football event this afternoon, those are times where people can see the effect of God in our lives and it is powerful. Because when you have a really special friend like God, you could be tempted to keep him all for yourself. I wouldn't blame you. But 
you could share him with others and you could see the incredible impact that that will have on your life and the lives of those you share him with. You see, Abraham, he could have chosen to stay in that comfortable place of being in the Lord's presence and being his anointed one who could enter into intimate conversations between just the two of them. But Abraham understood that it wasn't about him. See, he knew he had to share God with all of his people. Because as we sang earlier, God's plan was and still is salvation for all of his children, not the select few. So how can we share the Lord? Well, I believe that we must meet people where they're at. By that I mean we need to have compassion for their individual situations. Now, a few years ago, the lovely Mike Peters shared something really powerful with regards to our community outreach here at King's. And it stuck with me ever since he said it. He said, before people care about what you know, they first need to know that you care. You see, we need to show others the true, the real impact of who Jesus is in our lives. Because when we're honest about where we are at in our walk with God, it opens the hearts and minds of others. You know, they can see that we are genuine and that we genuinely care. We want to know what's going on. And when we are honest and humble about where we're at, it speaks to people. It draws them in and they want to know who is this person that makes you feel this way, that encourages you to behave this way. And as Pastor Michael Todd of Transformation Church said, as a church, collectively, we need to be hot. We need to be humble. We need to be open. And we need to be transparent. Because when we're each of these things, it draws people in. They recognize there's something different. Why? And when they ask that, you can lead them to the one friend who will always be with them. You see, I don't want a Facebook friendship with God. I don't want a friendship where I only upload or reveal the hashtag great times. You know, I want a friend who finds me at my weakest, at my lowest, and I'm on my knees, and he says, I am with you, and I love you. So I want to ask you again, is God your friend or is he just an acquaintance? I know which I'd rather he be and indeed I need him to be. Now I was asking God about what reflection could we share at the end and I just wanted to put an invitation out there because anybody here today who would like to ask God for the first time into their heart as their friend. We've got a ministry team who'd be more than happy to pray with you. I also felt the Lord put in my heart that perhaps there are people here who you've strayed a bit in your relationship with God or you've struggled with him or fought with him over something. And I feel that the Lord wants to say, come back. Come back and sit with me. 
And actually, as I was rehearsing for today, I had my little stopwatch out. And if I ever fluffed my lines, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I hit the reset button. And I feel like God wants the same thing for some people here. If you feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That went the wrong way. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. He says, hit the reset button. Just come and sit with me and come and be in my presence. Thank you. Well, we're just going to worship the Lord as we close this morning. As Rachel said, there will be a prayer ministry team over there. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of the old song, 